Tara Livingston. Welcome to You Should Write a Book, the podcast. If this really was a book, this would be in the chapter called Reflections, and the section would be called It Happened to Me Too. Just a note, this talks about an event that is and was rather traumatic. I want you to know I'm okay. It happened a long time ago. And um, I think I've worked through it. But I really do thank you for all of your concern. Let's get on with it and let's see where our stories meet. When I'm about to start telling you a story, inviting you in, I often think that it should begin with a long, long time ago. I can still remember. Anyway, I won't. But it was a long, long time ago. I was working in a congregation. Uh, It was rather small. The building wasn't that big. Had about 80 to 100 people on a Sunday morning. There was one particular Sunday where a gentleman that I hadn't uh, seen before came in. And I remember speaking to him before the service and saying, hi, welcome. Make yourself at home. we can do anything for you, just let us know. And he said, oh, thank you. I used to be a member here um, a long time back. And I said, well, welcome back. He found a seat close to the aisle. I was very aware of whose seat he was sitting in because they had to find uh, a different pew. And if you know anything about the Anglican world, she was not happy that she had to sit (laughs) somewhere else. I have no memory of the service or the readings or um, or even my sermon for the day. But as I was preaching, maybe three or four minutes into my homily, uh, the man that I had greeted when he came in stood up and he started, I guess, what he thought was preaching. He was saying, the spirit has left this place, Uh, God no longer resides here, it has been taken over by the devil, and uh, we need to pray together to invite the spirit back in, etc., etc. So it was a very un-Anglican kind of thought process, really. As he was saying this loudly, uh, he was shaking his fists in the air and moving slowly uh, up the aisle. Now, I'm not sure people realize that when they're sitting in a congregation in a church that the priest can see them. (laughs) Maybe they think that they've become invisible, but I look out I can see all of the parishioners. They can see me up at the front. But when this man started speaking, it felt like everybody just looked down at their feet, particularly the sides people, the people who greet parishioners as they're coming in the door, hand out the bulletins, etc. I'm trying to get someone's attention because. I'm 
terrified. And the reason I'm terrified is that the man is yelling at me. And he's shaking his fists at me. Was he doing that to Tara Livingston, the person? Probably not. He was doing that to the caller and whoever is in charge of this place. He is moving towards me slowly, kind of like baby step by baby step. Really getting into the fire and brimstone kind of preaching rhythm. I'm aware that my body has shut down, that I am no longer digesting food, that there's kind of nothing happening. I can hear my breaths from the inside, if that makes sense. And in my head, I'm thinking his suit is much too big. I hope he doesn't have a gun. And we have a room full of kids down the other end of the hall. And somehow we need to get this man out of the church. It felt like an eternity before a young man, a rather new parishioner, actually, finally kind of looked up and I got his attention. And all he did was stand up and turn and face this man. He was my ally. That's all I needed from him at that point was just to stand up and look at this man. At some point, I don't know how long this went on. It felt like it was 20 minutes. It may have only been two or three minutes. He took a breath and I said, thank you very much. Let us all stand together and recite the words of our faith in the Nicene Creed. and on command, as good Anglicans do, everyone stood in unison. And that's all it took for this man to kind of lose his rhythm. At that point, the the uh, young parishioner, God bless him, uh, kind of escorted this man uh, towards the back. I saw them having a conversation with the sides people, and, and then he was gone. There were people who got up and left. Some of them left immediately. Some of them waited until they took communion and then kind of snuck out. But it was a really traumatizing event. At the end of the service, I went into my office and uh, I took my robes off and I sat on my chair with my head between my knees, just trying to get my shit together, quite frankly. Um, it, was a, it was a big deal, and it was not something that we trained for. I went back and joined folks at coffee hour. Of course, everybody's talking about this man. They're trying to think of who he might have been because he had said that he used to be a parishioner there. There's a lot of trauma in the room. And so I was acknowledging that and saying, you know, yeah, that was that was really scary. But, you know, thankfully, he's gone now. One parishioner who was kind of part of the old guard, um, 
not really fond of me, I don't think, came up to me and said, well, you know, I, I know that that was maybe not the best, uh, the best presentation, but maybe we should consider, maybe the spirit really was speaking through this man. And maybe we need to discern whether or not the spirit has really left this place and what we can do about that. I was dumbfounded. I, I was offended. I was hurt. I think I stuttered some response, perhaps, and I left. I went and got my purse and my keys and I drove home. I spent the afternoon on the phone calling people who had uh, decided to leave the service early just to check in on them, make sure that they were okay, kind of listening to their perspective about what happened and how they it made them feel unsafe. Later on in the afternoon, I got a message from uh, some friends of mine and they said, hey, we have an extra seat at the table at a little restaurant called Model Milk that uh, seats by reservation. Come and join us for dinner. I went and I met my friends and I, as soon as I sat down at the table, I just started weeping. I couldn't stop. I, I was finally in a safe place with safe people who cared about me and the weight of my fear uh, just came barreling down on me. I was so grateful for their companionship at that point. Uh, later on, I talked to uh, some of my board members. We decided that I should make it at least make a police report in case this person came back to the congregation. So I did that on the Monday. The police were not very <laughs> receptive. I think uh, that they just assumed that it was some you know, wacky church thing, but they did take a report. On Tuesday morning, another person from the congregation uh, came in. She wanted to speak to me. She was a very kind of meek, mild person. Didn't really get involved in a lot of uh, activities at the church, but she was a faithful every Sunday attendant. And she came in and she said, well, you know, that was very traumatic, what happened on Sunday. And I said, yeah, I, it really, really was. And she said, I'm most disappointed that there was no words of comfort or direction from the leadership at the end of the service. It occurred to me that I was being chastised for not saying something meaningful and beautiful and uplifting and comforting at the end of the service. And I remember I leaned over and I looked at her and I said, it happened to me too. And she shook her head a bit and she looked at me. I don't think it had occurred to her. <laughs> that it happened to me too. 
it happened to me, Tara Livingston, as well as Reverend Tara Livingston, the leader of this congregation. Maybe she was right. Maybe a better leader would have been able to get their shit together and say something wise and wonderful at the end of the service. I felt so under threat and so unsafe that at that moment, I wasn't capable of making anyone else feel safe. Why am I telling you this story? It was certainly one of the events in my ministry that kind of culminated in uh, me leaving ministry altogether and the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And it wasn't so much the event. It was, of course, I mean, I was terrified. I was sure this guy had a gun. But it was the response to it. The two responses I heard about that event that stick in my mind were, maybe he was right and we should listen to him. And also, therefore, it's your fault that the spirit is no longer in this place. And the second response I heard was, you're not much of a leader. You didn't look after us. And in my heart, I felt that so strongly that neither one of those things was true. And that I wasn't being seen. That I was somehow, I don't know what they saw in me, uh, but they certainly didn't see me. I had disappeared. I had just become the caller. I wonder who else we run into in our lives that we only see as their position and don't give any thought to the fact that they are real people with real lives. A colleague said to me, oh my gosh, probably over 20 years ago, that there are people who walk through the world as if everyone else is just a bit player in their drama. There's a certain truth to that. Uh, we only we have our own stories kind of running around in our heads and our own experiences that we're having. But when we start treating everyone as if they're an extra <laughs> in our own movie, then we diminish their experience, their humanity, their fullness. So I wonder if we might just become better at understanding that everyone has a fullness, everyone is having their own experience of any given moment at any given time. It may be different than ours. We may see it as overdramatic or not important, but to give each other the grace, the grace of seeing each other as fully human and offer them that kind of compassion that comes with understanding that. I try really hard to not make these sound preachy. Well, this one sounds a little bit preachy, but it's important to me. It was a life-changing event for me. 
forever, for however traumatic it was, and it was traumatic, I do what the lesson that I took from it was to start seeing each other, uh, to seeing other people, even those in leadership as humans, as fallible, as sometimes we don't like what, how people respond. Give them a little grace, people. One of the places in this story that I have found grace that I didn't pay attention to, even probably while it was happening, was the young man who stood up. In the act of standing up and turning to face this stranger, he became my ally. And by doing that, he just strengthened me, emboldened me to be able to begin to think clearly and to come up with a solution about how to get this guy off of his rhythm. He extended me the grace of being able to stand beside me and strengthen me. Who needs your grace? Who needs you to stand up beside them, to be an ally, even if you're not talking, even if you don't say anything? What can you lend your presence to that will help someone else stand firmly in place? and be able to do what they need to do. Anyway, I hope that you've uh, enjoyed this, this little story that I've shared with you today. You could extend me some grace by subscribing or following the podcast, wherever you're listening from. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and hang out with me. And I really am curious, where do our stories meet? let me know. I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're having a wonderful day. Talk again soon. Bye.